Heavenly Father, as we dive into our teaching, I pray that you just use my words, use my thoughts, use my teaching as an extension of you, and may it fall upon ears that, are, that need it tonight. So bless this time we have together, and as we finish the teaching, uh, bless our fellowship. Amen. So if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to what book? Ephesians 2, yes. Good, not verse 16. Good try, though. You were kind of close. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Oh, sorry. Hey, something I've noticed before we start the teaching the last few weeks is a lot of mind-wandering, which I understand. I get that, okay? It's hard to pay attention to a teaching, especially after school, okay? I totally understand. One way I personally and a lot of other people stay engaged during teachings and stay engaged uh, during school is by taking notes, okay? I know it's like, oh, taking notes, are you serious? But hey, it works. I've always found I'm able to go back and revisit, you know, the teachings or go revisit my thoughts I had during the teachings when I take notes. I also find it, you know, I'm not... I'm not wandering in my mind as much, okay? And I, I understand if you guys let your minds wander, okay? I'm not mad at you for that. But something I did do is I did order a bunch of journals and pens for you guys. So if you want a little notebook and a pen to take notes on, or if you don't want one, that's okay, or draw pictures during your teaching or whatever, go ahead and raise your hand, and we have a bunch of these notebooks for everyone. All right, yes, okay. I'm glad someone raised their hand. <laughs> I was going to be like. <laughs> so we'll let those, those, those notebooks go out. You girls want a notebook? You guys are pretty chatty. Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> hey, David and Kylie, there's tons of seats up here. Why don't you guys come up here? Let's go. Let's go. Don't make me go get your dad, Kylie. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You guys can do it. Come on. Kylie. 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 David. Come on. Come on. Okay, you guys are going to do me like that. <laughs> All right, somewhere over here. No, those came like that. <laughs> um, there might be pens in the reception desk. All right, that is a free gift. You guys don't have to pay me for those unless you want to. Oh, can Hannah get another one? It already broke. No, it's okay. All right. Shh. Let's focus. Let's focus. So Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. If, you want, if you're taking notes tonight, you can title this Faith, Justification, and Works. I always like to title my notes so I know, you know, what's going on. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Have you guys ever been somewhere? Maybe you're out to dinner. Maybe you're going to a sports game where you have to pay to get in, which never made sense to me for if you go to your own, the same school, right? If you're going to Hidden Valley, you have to pay to get into your football game or whatever. That doesn't make sense. Or say you're going to the movies with your friends. And you arrive to that place, or the bill comes to you, you know, for food, and you forgot your money, or you don't have money, okay? Is this ringing a bell? I know for adults that happens sometimes, maybe for high schoolers more often than not, right? I can remember a time in my life when I was taking my wife, Kat, we were dating at the time, we were going out to... Uh, some like an evening lunch, you know, it's not quite dinner, but it's out the coast, Pacific City, if you guys know where that's at, that's kind of west of Salem area, and we're at this place called Pelican Brewery, okay, super good, right on the ocean, so you can see the ocean, you see this big, this big rock and these sand dunes and stuff, it's super cool. Well, we finished eating our food, and the waiter comes and takes our plates away, and you know, goes back, and, and naturally, I go to reach for my wallet, except I had forgotten my wallet, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, is it in the car? No, it was not in the car. I remembered it was on my dorm room desk that I had in my dorm room, okay? So I forgot my money, and it was time to pay the bill. I was not going to ask Kat to pay for it, though, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, be that guy that has a girl out on a date and then she ends up paying for the food. So I'm kind of sweating. I'm kind of preparing myself to tell the waiter what happened. You know, I forgot my money. Maybe I can come back, you know, tomorrow because it's about an hour away or maybe I can do the dishes. I don't know. Okay, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, the waiter, the waiter I keep wanting to say waitress, maybe it was a waitress, comes back and says, hey, don't worry about the bill. Someone paid for it. Someone saw you guys eating, and they decided to pay for, your, pay for your meal. What a relief that was for me. Kat might not remember that story. Do you remember that? Do you remember eating at Pelican Brewery? Okay. What a relief that was for me, right? Now, did I do anything to deserve that, that, that small gift? Or did I do anything to earn that person's favor in order to get that gift? The answer is no, right? They had no idea who I was. They didn't never seen me before. You know, it, it, they just decided to give me that gift. And that's kind of how God's grace is sometimes. All the time, I should say. God's grace is a gift to us that we did not deserve that we did not do anything to earn, but he gave it to us through Jesus in order so that we might be saved through salvation, right? If you guys were here last week, we talked about the different characteristics of God and how we should be reflecting those, right? Who remembers those four characteristics? Who was taking notes? Emma, on the spot. Gracious, yes, God is gracious, right? Well, 
Grace is something that is so important for the Christian to understand that Paul ends this passage, this intro to chapter 2, coming back to that idea of grace. In the beginning of chapter 1, we get the picture we get the picture of, of Paul preaching the gospel, what it was like for him to preach the gospel. And then as we enter chapter 2, we begin, to get to, we begin to see what Christianity is and what, made it, what makes it so significant, right? The beginning of chapter 2, we were dead and deluded in sin. We were dead in our trespasses, separated from God. We were doomed, we were rescued from death in verses 1 through 3, rescued by love and mercy in verse 4, rescued for life in verse 5, made alive in him, and rescued for a reason in verses 6 through 7. Now, these seven verses make up a singular thought that Paul writes, saying, hey, without Jesus, without the belief in the cross, without the belief in what Jesus did on the cross, man, we're dead in our trespasses. Man, we're separated from God. And no matter what we can do, we can never atone for what our sins have caused us to do, right? We can never save ourselves. And these seven verses kind of paint this picture of Christianity and what makes it so significant to us. And then we get to verse 8. And it is like we stand on this mountaintop breathing a, fresh of, a breath of fresh air, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. We're saved because of the faith in Jesus. Have you guys ever been on a hike? I know a lot of you guys have. Maybe it's a hike to Dutch Bros, right? <laughs> or a hike to 7-Eleven. Or if you're like me, a freshman, first day of school, hiking to Circle K, okay? You're not supposed to leave campus, but I did it anyways. Well, a few years ago, I was given the privilege to go on this massive hike in Peru, okay? Raise your hand if you've heard of like uh, Machu Picchu. I think it's a seventh wonder. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I was given the opportunity to go on this huge hiking trip, a backpacking trip that was four days long, 45 kilometers long, and at the end of it, we got to see Machu Picchu, right? It's along the Inca Trail. Well, we start out this hike, and we're going, and, you know, we have that picture in our heads of what the end goal is, but then my mind will start, start to wander, and I get caught up in, uh, you know, I can't breathe. Ah, uh, this is too hot out. Ah, uh, this is too hard. I get caught up in what's happening in the moment, and I forget the prize. But when we got to the end destination, when you guys reach that end destination of the hikes that you may go on, you're able to stand on top, get a full picture of the scenery and, you know, the, the prize that you've gotten, and you realize, man, it was, it was worth that long hike. It was worth all that trouble I went through. Paul's taking, on this, Paul's taking us on this hike. In verses 1 through 7, we recount on life before Christ, and what Christ did to save us. And then verses 8 through 10, we reach that peak. We are able to stand at the summit and look at what God has done, what God has, in, God has in store for us, recognizing the grace that has been placed on our lives. 
Something else that these three verses do, verses 8 through 10, is completely separates the idea that mankind can be saved through, our, through anything that we can do. Is the idea that anything other than grace, God, the grace that comes from God, the belief in Jesus, can save us, right? In one short phrase, Paul completely dismantles and completely dissolves the notion of other religions. One thing to ask yourself, if you guys ever find yourselves listening to a different uh, Bible teacher, reading something else, some blog or some Bible study, or maybe you know, you're a senior, you're going to go to college and, and find a new church in a different town. One thing to ask yourself is, does that church believe that the salvation that saves us, God's grace, can only be found through our faith in Jesus. Because Paul makes it very clear in these three verses that that's it. We are often asked what faith we are. I remember the first time I really got to experience this was I was applying for college or I was applying for FAFSA, which is like the uh, scholarship thing. And they have on there, you know, what religion you are. And I think it was on the computer. So I clicked Christian. And then there was this drop-down menu of like 30 different, they call them denominations, okay? They're asking, oh, what faith are you? What's your faith? And it was like Protestant, uh, Pentecostal, uh, Baptist, and that's all I can think of. But <laughs> there's a lot of them, right? Non-denominational. There's a ton of these that pop down. Typically, when we think of faith or when people ask us, you know, what our faith is, they're typically searching for one of those titles. But what is biblical faith? What is the faith that Paul is talking about? Verse 8 isn't just talking about what denomination you are or, or what belief system you follow or, you know, what you think you believe. Verse 8 is talking about a faith in believing in something that is absolute truth and that it is the confidence to trust in Jesus, to know that Jesus has covered us all through his grace, through his work on the cross. That's what biblical faith is, right? It's not, oh, my faith is Protestant Christian. Oh, my faith is, I'm a Baptist. Okay, oh, my faith is Pentecostal. No, faith is believing in what is absolute truth and having absolute confidence in what Jesus has done on our lives. Faith is to be so sure and so committed to Jesus that nothing can come between that. You know, sometimes your faith might be tested. James tells us this in chapter 2 of his book. Count it, count it a blessing when you go through trials, you know, because they're going to happen. Our faith will be tested. But it's through the testing of our faith that produces steadfastness. We know our faith will be tested, but it is holding on to the belief in what Jesus did and that he loves us that gets us through that. Have you guys ever put your faith in something? I mean, really put your faith in something. Like, if you don't fully trust this thing and it goes south, you might die, okay? That might seem crazy, but it happens a lot. Raise your hand if you've ever gone rock climbing. Even just like PE or something. I don't know. Do they do that in PE? 
So I got into rock climbing in like high school, and then in, in college we would do it a lot. Cats into rock climbing too. We don't do it as much anymore, but you know, we really like to do it. Well, there's different types. There's there's trad rock climbing, there's top belay, there's uh, there's bouldering, there's some other kinds I can't think of. Cat, cat's thinking of them right now, though. Well, in, in be- any type of belay climbing or lead climbing, you have your harness on, right? If you're, like, if you're, like, free climbing, then you're just, like, up there on the rocks, and if you fall, you're dead, okay? I guess you have your faith in your fingertips. But, like, top belay, you know, you have your faith in your harness and in this rope. You know that if you fall, which you probably will, that rope is going to save you, okay? You might fall 15 feet and get jerked. Oh, boom, have you guys ever seen those videos of those people falling? And then it's just like, like no balance or anything, just stopped. It might hurt for a second, but you're going to be okay, right? That's the kind of faith that we need to have in Jesus. That no matter how crazy our world gets, because it's getting crazy, the faith that we have in Jesus in what he did on the cross is so rock solid is so strong that when push comes to shove, we rely into that faith, we lean into that, and, you know, we turn out okay. Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith in what? What's the faith in what Jesus did on the cross, right? We need to also have faith in believing what the Bible says. I know we often talk about, oh, God loves us. You know, Jesus loves us so much. Or that Jesus died on the cross for us. Or, you know, that God's going to pull us out of our trials. But, you know, we often don't believe what we read about in Scripture. What would happen if we start really believing? And we start really believing, you know, what if it's true that Jesus loves us? What if it's true God made me exactly who I'm meant to be, as I am? What if it's true that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and now I don't have to carry that burden anymore? I think you guys would find that your faith would enter into a whole new level than it has been. God has given us the ultimate gift, but we didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. It is getting the gift of salvation and not doing anything to deserve it. He says in the last part of verse 8, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Once again, drilling in that fact, we didn't do anything, it's God's gift. We can't do anything to get better salvation or do anything to get more grace because God has given us all, each and every one of us, equal grace. Something we often struggle with is the idea of justification, of getting back at people that wrong us or, you know, feeling like someone's going to get back at us or feeling like, man, if I mess up, if I talk to my parents angrily, then God's going to give me a cold or he's going to make me fail my test or he's going to make me drop out of high school, you know, whatever it is. But it's important to understand that justification Making things right towards people who have wronged you, making 
ourselves right towards the people we've wronged only comes through Jesus. It's never going to come through ourselves. I'm reminded of this in Romans 5 or 17. You guys don't have to, or 18. You guys don't have to turn there. You can put it up there, though. Boom. Paul, once again, writes earlier in his life, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul's saying, hey, don't worry about people that have wronged you. Hey, don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't worry about your, the impact that people have had on you. Because you may think that you can get justification by yourselves. You may think that, oh, you know, telling a lie or spreading a rumor about this person, oh, that's going to get them back. But it's not. True justification comes from Jesus. True justification comes from the work that was already done on the cross. Paul says, through one man's disobedience, many became sinners, right? Through one man's actions of trying to get revenge on someone, and then that person tries to get revenge back, and then so forth and so forth. Many became sinners. But through one man's obedience, he's talking about Jesus there, many, many were made righteous in right standing with God. That's what righteousness is. In verse 9, Paul begins of, of Ephesians verse. Or Ephesians 2, verse 9, Paul begins to touch on something that we all struggle with. He says this, he says, verse 9, not a result of works so that one may boast, or sorry, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I think a lot of us, myself included, sometimes think that God is sitting up in heaven and he has like a little uh, money scale, you know, and it's good or bad. And so, Okay, Everett baptized someone this week. Okay, 10, 10, 10 points over here. Oh, Everett cut someone off or said something mean to someone on Call of Duty. Okay, 50 points negative in the bad section, right? We kind of have this idea of, you know, karma. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. But that's not what Paul says, right? Not a result of works. Nothing we can do is going to further our standing with God. God loves us just, just who we are, just how we are. Other religions will tell you differently, though. They'll tell you, hey, by your works, we get salvation. By what you do, day to day, serving people, that's how you get into heaven. An example is Jehovah Witnesses, okay? I'm sure you guys have heard of them. They believe going door to door and telling people about their religion is the way to get into different tiers in heaven, okay? You reach 50 houses this day, okay? You're in the next tier. They believe that through your works, you get a different standing with God, and you are saved through your works. Man, if you, if you do one thing bad in that church, mm, game over for you, right? And that's what happens, Matt, often tells, Matt Heverly often tells a story of this World War II uh, German hero who saved a bunch of Jew, uh, Jewish people from uh, the camps and from the war and from, 
you know, getting killed by the Nazis. And at the end of the war, the guy is interviewed, and he, he's asked, um, you, know, how he fe- you know, how he feels. You know, you should feel good about rescuing a bunch of people from death and from rescuing a bunch of people from slavery. But instead of that, he says, I should have saved one more. I could have saved one more. You see, that's what works does to us. If we're obsessed with our works and what we do, and if we think that our salvation comes from works, then we're never going to feel like we've made it. We're never going to feel like we're in right standing with God. And we're always going to feel like, oh, if I go there, if I do this, if I talk to this person, if I hang around these people, oh, God's going to get me. If I don't go to church, I'm going to get punished by God. But in reality, that's not it. In reality, Paul says, hey, not a result of works so that no one may boast, so that no one may may say, I am more righteous than you because I've gone to youth group every single week for this whole year. I am more righteous than you because, you know, I go door to door and I preach the gospel and you just sit at home and read your Bible, right? That's what Paul's saying. But wait, if we're saved by faith and not by works, why does Paul talk about good works in verse 10? Let's read that really quick. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Since we have been shown such grace, since we have been given the gift of salvation that we're made alive in Christ, we're called to live differently. We're called to reflect God. Our works don't get us our salvation. Our works aren't what save us. But hey, we're called, we're we're instructed by God to live a certain way now that we have been saved. We're called by God to reflect him and reflect his original plan back on this earth. And that was broken in the garden when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world. God's original design was for us to be stewards of the earth, to love one another, to spread his characteristics around. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, hey, We have been given a second chance. Now that you are saved through your faith in Jesus, let's get back to God's original plan. Let's put away the worldly standards that have been drilled into our minds and let's take on God's. Let's do good works, not with the idea that they will help us get saved or make us in better standing with God, but rather because we have been saved and given so much. That's what Paul's talking about. We are God's workmanship. We are his creation. We are created by design, created in Christ Jesus to do good in the world, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the calling that's been placed on all of our lives. And I know it's easy to get caught up in, you know, trying to get back at people, trying to get justification, you know, trying to make things wrong or make things right that were once wrong and get caught up in this worldly mindset of 
what the world wants us to, or how the world wants us to behave, but we're called to live differently. We're called to reflect God's characteristics, not go against them. The world's going to tell you the exact opposite, that if someone does something wrong to you, you know, it's your right to get them back, right? That if something, someone says something about you, man, you say something about them. That if your parents, you know, ask you to do something that you don't want to do, well, you don't have to do it because, you know, you're your own person. But that's not what the Bible says, right? We're called to obey. We're called to spread great. We're, we're called to spread grace. We're called to spread mercy to other people, to be slow to anger. These are the characteristics that we're called to spread back on the world. So what are you guys holding on to tonight? Is it that feeling of trying to get justification towards people? Is it that feeling of trying to, you know, do good work so that we may be saved or judge other people for not doing good enough or, you know, having this worldly concept of our faith? Get rid of that burden and just come to Jesus with it. Because he's just waiting for you guys with open arms. Stop carrying that burden on your own. If you guys have your communion cups, go ahead and get those out. Something that's often forgotten is when Jesus first did communion, think about everyone he did communion with, right? The 12 disciples. Jesus did communion. He broke bread. He drank wine with his 12 disciples. Get this. Even the ones who he knew that next day would betray him. He broke bread with people he knew, he knew that would betray them. He loved us so much, he knew all the wrong that we would do in our lives, all the hatred we would carry, all the greed we would have in our hearts. And he still said, Father, I'll obey you. I'll go to the cross for you. I'll die for each and every one of these people so that they may be in right standing with God. Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice so that we may live free. And all we have to do is accept that gift. Accept that gift of grace. Come to Jesus. Follow his commands. So will you guys bow your heads as we take this communion? Father, as we take this cracker, as we eat this bread, I pray that we are remembered of your body on the cross, that we remember your sacrifice that you've done for your only son. Anything that we're holding on to, we just bring to you, Father, and put it on the cross and accept your grace and mercy. Pray as we go on with our night, as we go on with our week, as we go on with our lives, that we're able to remember your characteristics and who you are. We're, we remember our calling to be good stewards, to love one another, to not always seek revenge. You guys may eat of the cracker. And Father, the cup rep represents the blood that was shed on the cross that washes away all the filth and the grime that we carry, makes us clean, gives us a second chance. You guys may take it from the cup.
So bless this time we have together and I pray you continue to move in the worship, Father.